I'd like to invite you this morning to turn with me in God's Word to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be looking at the first four verses of the sixth chapter of Ephesians under the heading of Children and Fathers, continuing our series on the Christian family. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing upon it. My most dear friends, Parents know they're given a special task when they are sent home from the hospital with a baby. You don't need any prior training. There's no official book. Nor is there anyone who's going to meet you at your home to help you. You are expected, as soon as that baby is born, to be able to feed, to care for, and then to shape and to mold that little one into the person they will become. I hope I wasn't the only one who remembered that overwhelming feeling when we left the hospital with my firstborn child. How am I going to care for this thing? It's a wonderful calling to be a parent. And every parent has wonderful dreams for their children. Fathers dream that their sons will maybe follow in their footsteps in a family business or maybe a hobby or a sport that they love. Mothers dream that their daughters will love them and that they will share their lives together. It's a wonderful calling. But if you're a parent this morning, you know that it's also a fearful calling, isn't it? It's a fearful calling. Children who are here this evening or this morning, you may not know this, but your parents don't have it all figured out yet. Parents still struggle with sin. That's what makes parenting so fearful. That when you go home with this little baby, what if I don't influence? What if I don't mold and shape this little one in the correct way. And I think this is a sore spot for a lot of parents. If you go to any bookstore today, there will likely be a section on how to raise children, the parenting section, and there will be books like How to Have a Well-Behaved Child. How to Raise an Intellectual. How to Raise a Feminist. How to not raise a Democrat. Have you seen these books before? These podcasts? These shows? Parents can become obsessed with molding their child to be the perfect child as they see it. But the Christian family, the Apostle Paul will teach us, is not the family that says our sons and daughters need to have perfect grades. Or to be the perfect athlete. 
or that they live up to any imposed standard. You see, if there's no such thing as perfect parents, do we not need to dispel with the notion of perfect children? Instead, the Apostle Paul will teach us that the Christian family is the family that recognizes that we are sinners raising sinners. Parents, at the onset, know this, your children are not perfect. And that's okay. Forgive them and point them to Christ. Children, at the onset, on the, at the onset, know that your parents are not perfect. Forgive them and point them to Christ. The Apostle Paul will teach us that what we should strive for in our parenting and in our relationship with our parents is a Gospel-centered family. A family-centered on the Gospel. That's our theme this morning. Children and parents are called to reflect a Gospel-centered family. I want to show you this in three movements this morning. A child's place in the Christian family, a child's duty in the Christian family, and wise parenting in the Christian family. First, we want to see a child's place in the Christian family. And for this point, we're going to only look at the first word of Ephesians chapter 6. Look there with me if you will. Children. Children. The letter to the Ephesian churches is an important letter which would have been delivered by someone to those churches from the Apostle Paul. And what would have happened is that somebody would have stood in front of the people of that church and read this letter. In this letter, he addresses certain people who would have been listening to it being read. If you flip back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, he addresses wives. Because they would have been standing there listening. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he addresses husbands. Because they would have been standing there listening to that letter being read. And here in chapter 6, he addresses children. Listen to me. He addresses you. Because children are an important part of the family of God. What this teaches us is that children were present in that original worship service. And they were important enough to receive an address from the Apostle Paul himself. Have you ever met someone important who doesn't seem to care for children? And looks at your kids as if they're more of a hindrance than a blessing? This is not so with the Apostle Paul. He cares for the children. He wants the children to be a part of the church and by addressing them, he shows us that children are an important part of the church. We live in a culture now where children are not often regarded as an important part of the church. And some people even say that children are not a part of the church at all. Of course, our Baptist friends, and I emphasize friends, deny that children are a part of the congregation. But I want to give you a few reasons this morning 
why children are an important part of the family of God. The first reason is this, because Jesus Christ accepts children. Children are an important part of the family of God because Jesus Christ accepted them. And in Matthew 19, verse 14, He says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the little children. That is that the children of believers have a unique standing before the Lord. When a child is baptized, we tell them, even before they understand, you have been set apart, sanctified for Jesus Christ. And the promise of salvation, little one, is yours. Before they can even understand, God promises them that they can have salvation. All they have to do is grow up, walk in the faith that they've been born into, and appropriate it and take it for themselves. They are the covenant children. Therefore, if Christ accepts them and has a high regard for them, they are an important part of the church, the family of God. Secondly, children are an important part of the family of God because this is the place they should learn the faith. This is the place where children should be molded and should be shaped before adulthood. God wants little children not just to follow you in the family business. He doesn't want little children just to enjoy your hobbies with you. Wisdom tells us this in Proverbs 22. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, we will, he will excuse me, not depart from it. We should raise our children in the faith. We should raise them in the church because it helps with the molding and the shaping of them as an adult. Children are an important part because Christ accepts them, because this is the very place where they should be raised, and third, because we learn childlike faith from them. We can learn something from our children, can't we parents? When Christ said, let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, He is using them as an example. This is how you should trust God the Father. This is how you should come to the kingdom of heaven. This is how you should depend on someone else, namely God, for the future. And frankly, my young friends who are here, Sometimes you are better at trusting the Lord than adults are. Children are an important part of the family because they are wonderful examples of trusting in the Lord. The Apostle Paul sees children having a high place in the church. But they're also an important part of our families, our earthly families. You see, if God had high regard for children, then shouldn't we as well? Yet, this was not the case in the Roman society in which the church existed. In the Greco-Roman culture, there was actually a callous cruelty towards children. John Stott, 
uh, says this, and it's quite shocking. He says of the Roman culture, unwanted babies were abandoned. Weak or deformed ones would have been killed. And even healthy babies were regarded as a nuisance because they inhibited sexual promiscuity and complicated easy divorce. Children would be laid at the feet of the father and the father would look at this little baby and inspect the baby. And if the father picked up that infant, that meant that he would receive that infant into his family and raise it as his own. But the fathers of these Roman families also had the authority to turn and walk away from that child. And the child would be discarded. We have records of children being thrown into the garbage. And they, where they would either die, or they would be picked up by human traffickers and made to work as either gladiator, gladiators, slaves, or prostitutes. The Apostle Paul, in just naming children in his letter, shows that children of Christian parents are not to regard our, those infants and those little ones as indispensable, or excuse me, as dispensable or worthless, but valued members of the family. It's also significant to note, if you will with me, he says children and not just boys. Or little boys. But little girls are mentioned, included in this address. Even when the culture devalued women, especially little girls, Paul himself is not part of this devaluing. Instead, he believes that regardless of gender, ethnicity, background, or age. All children, as Psalm 139 says, are fearfully and wonderfully made. Here is why this is significant for us today. That in the church, in the family, according to the Bible, everyone made in the image of God, boy or girl, deformed or healthy, All of them have a special place in our families. And our children here today have a special place in the family of God. One word of application before we look at a child's duty is we see there is an obvious progression to the Apostle Paul's thinking. Before he deals with children in chapter 6, verse 1, he spends quite a bit of time speaking to wives and husbands, speaking to parents. You see, children are planted in the soil of their parents' relationship. And what children see in their parents then deeply affects, deeply influences their lives going into adulthood. See, Paul doesn't start with children obey and honor your parents, but he starts with the parents' obligations to their children. That is that parents, if we want our children to love Jesus, 
then we have to love Jesus. Parents, if we want our children to love the church, we have to love the church. The Bible, their spouses, one another. We must first demonstrate it in our lives before we can expect to see those fruits in our children. Paul doesn't start with obey and honor to the children. Frankly, as parents, he starts with us. We are called to love Jesus, love the church, love the Bible. And our children will often follow in our footsteps. So this is a child's place in the Christian family. Important, valued, but the children also have a calling, don't they? They're called, the Apostle Paul says in verses 1 and 2, to honor, excuse me, to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, and honor your father and your mother. The two verbs here, the two important words are obey, it's a command, obey, and honor. You see, the Apostle Paul is continuing his thoughts on the Christian family where he has said to wives that they are to submit, that is to follow their husband's loving leadership. Husbands are to love, that is put the needs of others in front of themselves. What are children called to do? Obey. They are called to, here's the definition, willingly comply. Or willingly follow the commands of their parents. Children are called to willingly comply. Willingly follow the commands of their parents. Why? Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Young friends, this is an incredibly important point. If you are a child living at home with your parents, please listen to me. You are not called to obey your dad because he's bigger and stronger than you. You are not called to obey your mother because she's older than you and will threaten you. You are called to follow the commands of your parents because you are a Christian. Throughout the the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul uses the term in the Lord, to refer to being incorporated, being a part of Jesus Christ. And if you're a part of Christ, actually let me show you an example. If you flip back to Ephesians 5, verse 22. Why are wives to submit to their husbands? Because they're in the Lord. If you flip back to chapter 2, verse 21. He says, speaking of the whole of the church being one with Jesus Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together, this is 2.21, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The whole church has been incorporated, has become part of the body of Christ, and if you're a part of Christ, He determines your conduct. Baptized children are included in the covenant. Remember God's promise to Abraham. I will be your God 
and to the, and the God of your children. Young friends who are here this morning, you are set apart for Christ. You ought to live for Christ. You don't belong to Satan. You don't belong to the world. You belong to Jesus. And Jesus says, obey your parents. Willingly follow their commands. My friends, what this means is that the parents that you, were, that you have, that you have been given, were chosen for you before the foundation of the world was laid. They are the parents God gave you for a reason. As awkward as they might make you feel. As ridiculous as their rules may sound sometimes. God placed you in that family for a reason. For by their hand, God rules us, says our catechism. So the proper attitude for a child obeying their parents is this. I obey because the Lord bids me to do so. And that God does all things by His wisdom and His love. He gave me these parents to lead me and to guide me. But the second command that God gives to covenant children, first is to obey, but secondly is to honor. The second command, verse 2, says that children are to honor your father and your mother. To honor is more than to obey. Because honoring regards the object, the person, as important. William Hendrickson explains it this way, children should obey their parents, but this obedience moreover should not flow from a feeling only of love and gratitude and esteem, but especially from reverence for the Lord Jesus. True obedience, then, is not taking out the garbage with grumbling or emptying the dishwasher with backtalk or doing anything that your parents ask you to do while you despise them in your heart. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 13 this morning. Of course, we all are familiar. Excuse me, Luke 15, I meant to say. Luke 15. We're all familiar with the story of the prodigal son who forsakes his parents, but when he comes back, his father receives him, throws his arms around him, embraces him, but there is another prodigal son, isn't there? The older son, beginning in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. He came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come back. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Listen, verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, that is to come in. 
to rejoice. But he answered his father, listen to this, look these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. This is a wonderful example of obeying, but not honoring. He didn't serve the Lord by serving His Father. When He served His Father, He served Himself. And so young friends, let it be known this morning that bare obedience given disrespectfully Bare obedience given while despising your parents in your hearts is not true obedience. True obedience, then, is honoring your parents from the heart. The only obedience to God that is acceptable is willing and gladly given heartfelt obedience. And God is glorified when children honor their parents. And this is not only a command for our young people here today, but we're commanded also as adults to honor our parents. Whether you're 50 and your dad is 70, or you're 70 and your dad is 90, you're still called to honor, to respect your father and your mother. This not only has an obligation for children, but also for parents. Parents, you are called to enforce obedience for the good of your children. By enforce, I don't mean to be heavy-handed and domineering. Remember there to uh, be obedient in the Lord. So we don't enforce our children... Uh, to, be, to obey by beating them into submission, for example. We don't enforce our children's obedience by extorting them into submission, but by making those implications of the Gospel clear to them. But parents, you are called to enforce obedience. Remember, it was Eli in 1 Samuel 3 whose neglect of his son's discipline that led to their death and so many trials in Israel. You see, our children stand to gain nothing if parents are only their friends or their buddies. Our kids will have lots of friends in their lives. Lots of buddies. Lots of people who they can hang out with and shoot the breeze with. But if God has blessed them, they'll only have two parents. A mother and a father. And when children are taught to obey and honor their parents, it becomes a wonderful teaching of how to obey and to honor the Lord. A word of application here. Children, which includes all of us, we've all been born of parents, notice that the passage which the Apostle Paul is quoting from Exodus chapter 20 says, honor your parents. Not everybody has parents that are easy to like. 
But it doesn't say you have to like your parents, does it? It doesn't say you have to be friends with your parents. It doesn't say you even have to spend a lot of time with your parents. What it does say is honor. You are called to hold them and to hold their teaching in high regard. How important is this? The Bible says that a child who doesn't honor their parents, their worship is unacceptable. Matthew 7, verse 11. For a child who doesn't honor their parents, their worship is not acceptable. And they can expect judgment, Proverbs says. Proverbs 30, verse 17. You can expect judgment for dishonoring your parents. You must honor your parents, not because they are worthy, but honor and obey them because you love Jesus Christ. And in verse 3, Paul says that the fifth commandment is a commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God delights when children honor their parents. And put very frankly, he says he will bless you. You honor your parents, he will bless you. And remember that in the context which this was written, in the Middle East, there is a lifelong commitment to honor parents. And in doing, God will bless you with long life. Put very pointedly, God says, I will bless your obedience when you honor your parents. So children, you've seen that you've been given an important place in the family. Christian family, the church, and your family, you've been given a calling to honor and obey your parents. And parents are called to wise parenting. Our last point in the Christian family. I mentioned earlier that in the Roman society there was something that was called the paterfamilias, which would have been the oldest living male of your family who would have executed absolute power and absolute authority over every member of the family. He had the authority to sell family members into slavery. He had the authority even to put children to death, capital punishment, if he so chose. And often these men would have been arbitrary in their decisions. But when the Apostle Paul turns to the subject of fathers in verse 4, he teaches that a father needs to exercise sensitivity and care and how they interact with their children. Christian fathers, I think in a word we could say, are called to model the grace of their heavenly Father in caring for their children. Called to model the grace of their heavenly Father. Well, there might be some women who are in this room and saying, well, is this not true for mothers as well? Why does Paul talk about parents in verse 1 uh, and then mothers and fathers, fathers and mothers in verse 2, and then switch to fathers in verse 4. I think it's doubtless that these principles apply to both men and women. Remember, it was Timothy who, after his father died, that his grandma and his mother taught him the scriptures. Second Timothy 1 5 through 7. 
But remember that as fathers, as Paul has already elaborated on, we are called to be the head of the household. It is fathers who will one day stand before the Lord and give an account of what happens in the home. Paul tells us that the Lord's principal concern for fathers, one of their principal concerns for fathers, on that last day when we stand before the Lord, is did you bring up your children in the disciplines and in the instruction of the Lord? God has always said that this is important. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, it says this And these words which I command to you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk with them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Parenting is a hard job but there's no job more important. Brothers, fathers, do you feel that? That this is your most important job in life? And I get it. I'm a father. Two wonderful children. Lovely wife. I got a busy job. And sometimes as fathers, we feel stretched so thin providing meals, paying the mortgage. Yet the Apostle Paul says that the greatest good that a father can do for their child is to care for their souls. As much as a parent is called to care for their physical well-being and their mental and social and physical and emotional We are called to give time and energy to their spiritual well-being. And so, if you're a parent, I already know the question on your mind. How do I do this? The Apostle Paul shows us in verse 4, we are called to shepherd our children by the Word. Shepherd them by the Word. First, he tells us what we're to not do. He says, we're not to provoke our children. And I'm going to call this shepherding by the flesh. Don't shepherd by the flesh. The words provoke and anger suggest repeated, ongoing patterns of treatment that gradually build up into hostility. What we see in verse 4 is that this is in the context of discipline. That the things that provoke anger are often actually well-intentioned for our children's good. But then we get the opposite result. Hendrickson, again, gives some wonderful examples here. He says one example of this is overprotection. Parents who smother their children are overly strict, never trust them on their own, always questioning their judgment, think we are doing it for their good, but all it does is lead to resentment and exasperation. Another could be an example of favoritism. Remember in the Scriptures, there's an account of this when Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. How did that go? 
And of course, Rebekah preferred Jacob over Esau. And then it didn't stop there, but then Jacob in his life favored Joseph. And the favoritism led them to throwing him into a well and pretending that he was dead and selling him off into Egypt. And of course, the Lord did a good thing through it. But favoritism, which the parents thought for was the good of one child, had devastating results. Children can be provoked by excessive discouragement because we don't want them to be proud. Children can be exasperated when they're pushed beyond their reasonable limits as if they have to achieve everything. We provoke our children when we expect them to act like adults instead of children by failing to sacrifice our time, our friends, our fun for them by making our love conditional, by neglect, remember David and Absalom, by bullying them, nothing but nothing exacerbates a child more when the one who is supposed to nurture them and care for them verbally abuses them and physically abuses them. That is parenting by the flesh. Trying to produce some result by our own means. Apostle Paul says that's what we're not to do. Instead, he says, parent by the Word, shepherd according to the Word. See, the word bring up, which is used in, also in verse chapter 5, verse 29, when the Apostle Paul is speaking to wives and husbands, can be translated as cherish. So what is Paul saying in Ephesians 6? He is saying, cherish your children. John Calvin actually translates this passage as fondly cherish them. Cherish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, the best thing you can do for your children is to teach your children the Word. That is, open the Bible and base your discipline of your children. Base your instructions for your children on the Word of God. I've said it three times in this series, and I'm going to say it again. That a Christian family is not a perfect family. We are not called to be a family without faults. But a family founded upon the Gospel who admit that we are sinners raising sinners, but who nonetheless look to Christ for their hope. Parenting by the Word is radically different than parenting by the flesh. Parenting by the flesh knows that our children are a reflection of us and so we want them to reflect something good. Parenting by the Word knows that our children are a reflection of us, including our sinfulness. And so our kids need the Gospel. Our kids need the Gospel. The very heart of the Christian family is this. 
to bring the hearts of one another to the heart of the Savior. The very heart of the Christian family is this, to bring the hearts of one another to the Savior. And so parents, if you strive for your children's perfection, you will never be successful. You are not perfect. Your children are not perfect. The Apostle Paul's call here in Ephesians 6 verse 4 is lead your children to the perfect Savior. Parenting is very hard. We have failures every day as parents. And one of the most discouraging things is when you desire your children uh, to follow in your ways and all you see is them exhibiting your worst characteristics instead of your best. Be reminded, my dear friends, those of you who have been called to be parents, there is grace for parents. There is grace for parents. And through parents seeking Christ, admitting that they're sinners, and that they've sinned even against their children, the children learn what God desires them to learn. That there are no perfect people. But there is a perfect Savior whose arms are opened wide and who receives all penitent sinners who come to Him for rest. We don't have a perfect faith. Parents don't serve and love God with all our hearts. We don't love our children as we ought. But we can be confident that there is grace for us in Christ. And your children need to see you say, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. But there is a great Savior who forgives our sins. Let's conclude. The heart of the Christian family is this, I say again, to bring our, the hearts of one another to the heart of the Savior. We are to have a gospel-centered relationship with our children. Children, you are called to honor and obey your parents in the Lord, to willingly follow their commands. And likewise, parents should shepherd them by the Word and lead them to Christ. The whole hope of the family is to be upon Christ. Not the children's perfection, not the parents' perfection, but the perfection of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we do give you thanks this morning for your word that you have given a gospel that extends not only to the parents, but also to the children. And you have given us callings. Yet, Lord, we recognize how far, we, far short we have fallen in these things. Yet, Lord, you have been merciful to give us not only commands, which we are called to obey, but also to give us your Son who obeyed in our place and gave his grace for us. What a comfort it is to know that Christian families are not perfect families. And families who do everything right and have perfect children who get perfect grades and do everything that their parents tell them to. But the Christian family is the family that trusts in the Lord. And so, Lord, we trust in You this morning. 
Bless us and keep us, we pray, the rest of this worship service. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.